When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Previously on Car Stuff. Sorry, I just wanted to do that as an introduction. Oh, you had to do it. It's kind of like the uh, the Lost intro. Thanks. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Uh, hi, work. my name. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, my name's Ben, and I'm Scott, and this is Car Stuff. This is the second part of our MR2 episode, and probably the first thing that we should do here is kick it off with a quick recap. Yeah, I guess we talked about, uh, well, just started to get into the first generation, but we talked about the concept vehicle, Mm -hmm. uh, how there was some uh, um, development going on in Japan, here in the United States as well, in California, and some uh, some ex-Formula One racers that were involved in the development of this car. Yep. Uh, We had Dan Gurney driving the thing at at Willow Springs. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was uh, not really intended to be a two-seat sports car to begin with. That no, was, it was just intended to be a fun drive that had affordable fuel economy. And as they were thinking outside of the box, they sort of stumbled into what would become the MR2. Yeah, and this mid-engine layout, and there was a, a little bit of rumor about Lotus and uh, Lotus uh, motor cars and ver- involvement in this whole thing, mm-hmm. and you know whether it was not a uh, whether or not it was a throwaway design from Lotus yeah. that Toyota picked up, and that's another rumor. Um, man, there's just, there was a lot going on in that first episode. I think people should go back and listen. If you haven't yet, mm-hmm. you know, don't listen to them out of order. Go back and check out part one. I think we did a good job with part one. Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. Uh, there's that one little design flaw in that episode, which is we got 26 minutes into the show and then got to <laughs> generation one. That's true. Um, so there's probably, there are probably a couple things we could still say about gen one, right? Definitely. Yeah. There's more about gen one and let's, uh, let's, let's concentrate in this episode and go Going through Gen One, Two, and Three, and maybe some racing variants, and uh, yeah. uh, we'll talk a little bit about kick cars. There's all kinds of stuff. So let's let's dig back into Gen One, and even if this is repeating just a couple of things, and maybe mm-hmm. uh, maybe we're okay there. Okay, so we know that the uh, the Gen One comes out in 1984 in Japan. We know that it goes in '85. It's in UK and it's in the US in February of '85. And we know that the 
The first gen goes all the way to uh, 1989, right, that's, Scott? That's right, 1989. And they've got a supercharged version. Yeah, there's which a is uh, huge dimension. There's a supercharged engine that comes about towards the end of the of the production of of Gen One. Mm-hmm. Um, and this thing doesn't have any kind of lap between or laps rather between first gen, second gen, third gen. So it's going right. to continuously run all the way through 2007 that we're going to wrap up with here today. Um, but you know, I want to say that in, in 1984, we mentioned a bunch of awards in the last program. Yeah. Um, I want to say that in at its introduction in 1984, this car right out of the box, it won the Car of the Year Japan Award, um, which is a, a huge award over there. I mean, that's uh, that's the same thing as like, uh, you know, our, our Motor Trend Car of the Year Award here in the United States. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, other continents have mm-hmm. uh, their own versions of this. So um, it was a big award and it won other countless awards, you know, along the way. And it was just a popular, popular design you know, between the press and the, the public and everybody's opinion of this whole thing, even, uh, you know, other automotive manufacturers were saying, what a, you know, this is a good design. They're our competitor, you know, because we have, com- you know, companies that are putting out things like the CRX and the Fiero sure. yeah. and um, what some of the other ones, the, the Fiat X19. Um, I, I can't remember. The 40 well, XP. There were a lot of different versions. Oh, Scirocco from Volkswagen. Oh, yeah, yeah. When we have a, uh, we have a good point here because what we're building toward is the idea that this car was almost universally lauded. Um, and one note that I think we should put in there about Gen 1 is that uh, Gen 1 had some early racing success too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toyota Team Europe, this is probably one of my favorite stories about it. They built a customized wide-bodied MR2, and they nicknamed it 222D or 222D. Yeah. Um, and they had it ready and set to compete in the Group S category of the WRC. So it would be going up against stuff like the Audi Quattro and uh, the Peugeot uh, 205. But you know what happened. Oh, you know what? They were also thinking not only Group S. They were also thinking Group B with this thing because you got to really? remember Group B was still around yeah. when they were developing this car. So they were thinking initially – we're going to get it into that, you know, into that 1,000 horsepower range, that 800 horsepower range yeah. or whatever. Now, imagine that in that type, in that size vehicle. It's such a light vehicle. All-wheel drive or whatever they do to those things. Yeah. Remember, we, t- we had the whole Group B podcast, which is really, I-, I think that was an entertaining podcast. That was a fun one, too, I- yeah. I-, I-, I really, really enjoyed doing the research for that one. That was cool. So, uh, but they're, they're talking, yeah. of- oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. They're- I was just going to say, spoiler alert, uh, they never got to do the Group S category. Yeah, they never got to do Group S or Group B because Group B was canceled in 1986, mm-hmm. which was right about when they were kind of developing this. Because in 1985, they were developing it with this uh, Toyota Team Europe. Um, and 1986 came around, and there's no more series to race in. So what are they going to do? And the car was kind of hidden away for a while. And it was brought out kind of as a, as a surprise, really, at the 2006 Goodwood Festival of Speed, where they displayed this uh, this black 222D vehicle that they had supposedly created uh, for a Group B rally, yep. or Group S rally, I guess, mm-hmm. because Group B had gone away. Um, but it weighed, the car weighed something like 1,700 pounds, so it was lighter than a, a typical um, Gen 1 MR2, which was right around, I think it was, in Japan it was 2,095 pounds, and in the United States it was 2,350. Yes. Um, a little heavier in the U.S. So um, in the... They had significantly lightened this vehicle, which, again, that's another Lotus uh, thing that they would do. Mm. But race car, so they're going to do that anyways. Um, had the transverse-mounted four-cylinder turbocharged race engine, which you would expect. But get this, Ben. They thought it, it was reported to produce as much as 750 horsepower, that 222D that they that they showed. Wow. Um, and they were talking about a V6-powered prototype that was also rumored to exist 
that has never, ever seen the light of day. No one in public has ever seen this thing, but it's supposedly mm-hmm. it's out there somewhere. It's one of those automotive myths. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we can call it a myth. Well, maybe a legend, maybe a, a myth, legend, a legend a, um, sure. urban legend, maybe an urban legend. I don't yeah, know. Friend of, friend of a friend thinks they saw it one time. <laughs> yeah. Who knows someone who met a cousin <laughs> at a party? Yeah. Hey, um, do you want to talk about, uh, Gen, Gen 1 or you want to move to Gen 2? Let's, how about this? Let's okay. wrap it up with, uh, with Gen 1 here just quickly because yeah. I think there's, there's still so much about this. I mean, we've talked about like, you know, the, the angular lines and the, uh, the design concept that comes from the late 70s, early 80s. Right. Um, some of the other competitors that we talked about at Fiat, but we didn't talk about the Lancia Stratos, uh, which was another Group B competitor from the day, which is another fantastic car to compare it to, really. That's true. Uh, Lancia, they had a car, a car called the Beta Monte Carlo. Uh, which I've never heard of, but I'd, I'd love to see it now that I know that it's compared to the MR2. Um, man, just it, there's so much, Ben. I've got I've got a lot of stuff on on Gen One, and I, I wonder if maybe maybe I guess we should oh. talk about going into uh, Gen Two at this point. Yeah, and let's let's go ahead and let the cat out of the bag here. Um, Gen One itself is an evolving an evolving vehicle because it's not as though they just made the same car. For this many years and then moved to to the Mark II, mm-hmm. um, they introduced stuff over the course of Gen 1. And that includes things like reworking the transmission, um, putting in the T-bar, which I know is going to trip a lot of people out, but it wasn't there in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but they introduced it, you know, literally to very early on. And then they've got, you know, we said they've got a supercharged, uh, they added some... Slight changes to the exterior, new lights in the U.S. and stuff like that. Um, one of the big moves in 87, they relocated the air filter to the trunk. Yeah, and they, so they have continual improvements leading into yeah. Mark II, which... Um, I, I just want to say one thing about yeah. the supercharged engine, because that was yeah. such a cool thing to develop. Because, you know, at, this, at the time that they had done this, you know, they were using this, uh, this, this 1587 cc inline four engine. It was a, well, 1600 cc engine, basically. Um, horsepower is somewhere between anywhere from like 112 horsepower in the United States up to, um, I think it was about 128 horsepower in the UK, which was maybe the highest, I think. They had some kind of other kind of, um, I don't know, ratings that went up to 128 in Japan, but I think they dropped that down to 118 after, uh, someone, you know, really investigated. I think they did probably one of those net to gross, uh, rating type switches. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it dropped it. So the 128 in, in Japan was dropped down to 118 eventually, uh, for the home market, which is not unusual. That happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also, this is strange. In the home market in Japan, they also offered one version that had as low as 82 horsepower, which is really strange. And of course, it was not very popular. It didn't attract a whole lot of buyers. So that quickly went away. Why would you want it? Is my well, question. I guess so. I mean, it still makes it economical. It's still a fun car to drive around. In Japan, you know, I guess is, I mean, overstate, I mean, maybe oversimplifying this, but I always think of it as being a very tight driving situation. You know, it's a small car, probably good in the city to drive around, you know, yeah. commuting, uh, small engine, probably a lot of, uh, a lot less fuel used. I would think that would okay, be a benefit. that's probably one of the primary ones. And that's getting back to what they wanted to do initially with this thing. Remember, they were yeah. trying to make it very economical, but uh, people saw it as really a sports car because of that mid-engine layout. Mm-hmm. Uh, performance times, again, we mentioned were in the eight-second range. Quarter mile was something like 16 seconds, so not that fast. But then they came out with the supercharged version in 1987 and in 1988 for the U.S. market. Yeah. And the supercharger boosted up almost immediately to 145 horsepower, Ben. And zero to 60 times come down to 6.5, maybe 7 seconds at the most. 
That's yeah. really moving along pretty quick. That's a, that's a pretty quick car. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And it, uh, the way that it was designed means that it would still have some fuel economy because it didn't, it wasn't continual. Mm-hmm. It kicked in when you needed it. Yeah, that's right. It had some kind of strange belt driven design that was, um, actuated. Electromatic magnetic clutch. Yeah, which is kind of odd. I mean, but I mean, yeah. you can understand how it works if you, if you look up the diagrams of the way this thing works. Right. But, um, it's just that it, it's, it's not used when you don't need it. And the result is that you get increased fuel economy from that, from that design. So, um, you know, thinking about fuel economy all along the way, but still, 145 horsepower from that supercharged version. I, I thought we should at least give that a mention. And now let's move on to W, uh, W20, which they call, which they call it, um, we call it Generation 2. Yes. And, uh, they knew that they would stick to that mid-engine layout mm-hmm. for the second gen. Wildly popular. Wildly popular. One of the big selling points of the vehicle. So the chief engineer in charge of this at the time is a guy named Kazutoshi Arima, a uh, second in command of the original design. Mm-hmm. And they included, they expanded their goal. Remember, originally they wanted fuel economy and a fun drive. So they expanded this to say, let's have some more refined style, mm-hmm. which is going to be important. Um, and man, did they ever do that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they 
did have uh, some heavy influence on the look. Scott, how would you describe the change? Earlier you <laughs> said Gen 1 was kind of uh, origami. Yeah, this one is more, uh, I guess, streamlined, more, uh, le- what's less angular, it's more rounded. A little softer. It's softer in design, I guess, and by softer, I mean um, it's just smoothed out because mm-hmm. it did have uh, very angular lines before. It was very... Uh, uh, Boy, I don't know, brutish looking. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. And uh, in the second version, it, it had more of a uh, like a, a sports car that you would typically like. You would think of like the Lotus Salon or something like that. You know, right. very rounded, smooth, aerodynamic shape. And they also have a bit more ambition as far as the price points for this vehicle too. Sure. They they've upgraded the interior and. They're offering more engine options. Yeah, because this car was really well received. People loved it, and and the sales were up there. And they knew that you know if they come out with a a, a faster, better version of this vehicle, that people are going to buy it. And of course, they did. People loved it. You know, it gained a little weight. It was like it gained something like three hundred to four hundred pounds. Uh, 350, I think, through 400 pounds, something like that. Um, body styling is a lot different, as you mentioned, but it was com- yeah. it was being compared to cars like the Ferrari 348. And the Ferrari 355 of the day. And that says a lot because, you know, I mean, here it is. It's a Toyota that's supposed to be an economy car. It's pretty right. sm- pretty small, but it does have this mid-engine layout, which is like a sports car. But the looks, the appearance, it's like a much smaller Ferrari. And people, in fact, were calling it the poor man's Ferrari, which yeah. I'm sure Ferrari hated that. And I think a lot of people maybe thought, you know, that's kind of a strange way to put it. But, um, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of a cool thing to be, uh, to be listed in the same same sentence as Ferrari, right? Yeah, I think it's a big win. I think so. And uh, speaking of big wins, it's probably time to talk a little bit about our sponsor. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick 
and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, let's tell you what, let's get back into our topic, which is yeah. uh, we're, on, we're in the second gen, and we're kind of in the middle here. We're talking about... Um, uh, some of the some of the stuff that uh, they offered on the second gen that they didn't on the first, but and, and yeah. there's so much, Ben. And I do want to mention that you know in the second gen it underwent five revisions during the ten years of production that this thing happened, you know, was was being produced. You heard so that from, right, everybody. Ten so, years. So from 1989 to 1999, there were five revisions, and they call them, and and you can kind of break these apart within that generation into type one, two, three, four, five. Right. Um, Really kind of strange, and there's a lot of stuff about these cars that you'll that you'll find as you're reading about them that you just never really knew unless you owned one. Maybe um, yeah. stuff that I found out, like I found out that all of the second generation MR2s came with a staggered wheel setup, where the wheels and the tires in the back were wider than the ones in the front. I had no idea that they were doing that. I know a lot of sports cars do that. I mean, big time sports cars, like you know some of the um, Corvettes and things like that. At Porsches, right. of course, you high see that. End. Yeah, very high end vehicles will do this, and and. I just had no idea that the uh, the second gen MR2 was doing that. And a lot of a lot of the second gen uh, changes or revisions occur in market specific ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, what we mean by that is, for instance, um, the automatic transmission gets discontinued in the United Kingdom in 1992, or um, they stop making the vehicle entirely in the United States in 1995. Yeah, yeah. They do this. So these changes are not necessarily global changes, although the, the generations of the Mark II are, are global. Yeah, that's right. And they did things like they would make a, uh, a spider version for one particular market and they didn't for another market. Um, yeah. Like a lot of the cars that went to the UK in, I think it was 1991, were marketed as MR2 spiders. But the odd thing about this one is that Toyota didn't even put their name on the on those vehicles because they knew that those roofs leaked on those vehicles. <laughs> right. that, they, that particular year, that particular make and model, whoever was doing it, they knew that the, the roofs leaked and they didn't want their name associated with it. So there's these odd, oddities that go along with it. And one of the oddities, I think, in the last one I'll mention on, on um, the second gen yep. is uh, the, um, in 1998, uh, Toyota Racing Development, or TRD, offered a special body kit conversion uh, that could for turning, turning MR2s into what they called a wide-body TRD 2000 GT replica. And uh, this is so cool, Ben. If you if you haven't seen one, you should take a look at a, a photo of one. Just do a, a keyword search online. Right. There were only thirty five of these things that were completed by a company called Toyota Technocraft Limited. They're about four inches wider with the body kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had and and they all had additional engine, suspension, wheel, and interior upgrades that were available. But they didn't have to be selected. It wasn't like every one of them got the same treatment. You so didn't have to max out. They're all completely different. Every one of them is different. Some some went for the full deal, like everything to be changed. Others just selected one, maybe maybe just the body, maybe just, just the, the interior, yeah. yeah, or a combination of the two. They had power options that went up to 500 horsepower on these things. So if you did to get the engine upgrades, you could go up to 500 horsepower and have that really cool-looking wide-body kit. And I've mentioned how I love wide-body kits, so this is uh, yeah. right up my alley. I love these things. And there's a register that you can kind of track some of these things, but a lot of them, it finds out, are 
kind of lost to time. I mean, mm-hmm. some of them are unknown. There were 10 that came to the United States that they just don't know where they went. There might be some barn finds. They're probably, I would say, the bulk are in private collections. I would think so, or maybe the, uh, who knows, maybe the body kits ended up on a shelf in someone's garage. You oh, know, and they're just, don't uh, say it. They're just sitting there. But you know what? That's also good because someone could apply them later, so who knows? Yeah, that's, that's nice. Okay, wait, wait. Okay, so, well, let's also mention the MRJ concept. Oh, yes. Right? Okay. Let's uh, so when the MRJ concept comes out in... 1995. Now, remember, we said that the Mark II goes to 99, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. So we know that there are already some cues that they're going to change the game in this third generation. When the MRJ concept comes out in 95, again, at the Tokyo Motor Show, they've got a lot of commentators saying, you know, uh, nod and wink. Here we come. Here we're seeing the the third generation uh, MR2. And they even went so far as to predict when it would go on sale really? and how much it would cost. But it turns out that that was just a variant because they also released an MRS in 1997. Yeah, the MRS kind of cracks me up. I always think, I just see it as, <laughs> as misses. Uh, so they released, Toyota released the misses in Japan, <laughs> but MRS is the, is the code name for it. And, and everywhere else in, um, well, actually, not everywhere else, but in in the United States, it was called the MR2 Spider, and then yeah. it was called the MR2 Roadster in Europe, and I, that kind of makes sense. I and guess. yeah, and MRS stands for Midship Runabout Sports. So anyhow, the the this concept, this Roadster, and I'm glad we brought that up, is something that the chief engineer at the time, Tadashi Nakagawa, uh, said that uh, he was building to break the cycle of growth. Mm-hmm. He called it, and uh, he one of his issues was that. There's this tendency, which we've seen in everything, even the Mini, uh, for successive vehicle generations to get bigger and bigger and bigger sure. and bigger. Yeah, and that's definitely what was going to going to happen, I think, with the with the third generation if they didn't make a dramatic change, and that's what they did. Um, when you look at the third generation, uh, which was again 1999 to 2007 when we ended production, uh, when Japan ended production, not we, Ben, um, <laughs> you and I, yeah, stopped. you and I. Well, the the competition for this type of vehicle, if you want to think about it this way. The Honda S2000, the Mazda MX-5 Miata, and the Porsche Boxster, which, by the way, i got to say that the uh, the MR2 third generation, to me, this looks like a Porsche Boxster. I mean, it looks like a smaller Boxster, really, so you can kind of think of it that way. But um, the idea was it was a different approach. I mean, you mentioned this already, the, the cut the cycle of growth, you know, to, to keep it from getting bigger. And right. the idea was something that they called the Toyota Project Genesis. And the plan was to attract buyers from a younger age bracket that, um, would maybe hopefully increase sales numbers in the United States because I guess they had dropped off in the U.S. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, surprisingly so, though. I mean, that, that second gen was such a, a great car. Um, but the biggest change, I think, was maybe the switch over from the hard top to the open open rooftop option, you know, like, like a true convertible top. Yes, yep, yep. I mean, it made it a true spider car. Right, and when we when we look at this, this is leading up to our our big question here, which I'm I'm trying not to ask yet. So, okay, right. spoiler though, at the end, you know what question we're going to ask? Yeah, sure. All right, so um, the MR2 Spider. That's a great point. It's uh, distinguished from a lot of its competition because, of course, you know, there's the MX5, there's the Honda S2000, and the Boxster. Mm-hmm. Um, it came with a heated rear glass window standard. And so at the time that this came out, most convertibles actually had a plastic rear window. Yeah, and those plastic windows would turn yellow and they would, uh, it was, uh, was a disaster. I'm going to be honest. Those plastic windows suck. They were terrible. Yeah, you yeah. couldn't see through them even when they were supposedly clear. Um, I had an MG Midget, which had turned immediately yellow. 
And uh, it was just useless after that point. I mean, I couldn't see through it. It was strictly counted on mirrors, you know, if you had the top up. So um, putting a glass uh, window back there was a big deal. And, you know, I know there were other convertibles that did that, but maybe not convertibles this size in that class, and, you know, for that price. Right. As we know, this stuff can be this stuff can be qualified. But I will say, you know, I've got some pictures of the third gen in front of me. I, you know, I was playing you a little bit dismissively when I said, yeah, it's got some cues from the Boxster. But you're right, man. It's <laughs> clearly, I, I see where it's coming it, from. It does. And tell you what, I just want to say maybe one more quick thing about the third gen and then, and then talk about a little bit about racing. Right. And then that's it. But, okay. Uh, and you've got that question you want to ask me. Yeah. Um, all right. I just want to say that, you know, they, they did offer the sequential manual, uh, which is kind of an interesting thing, which, um, they had, they had, of course, the clutch operated manual, and then they also had the sequential manual, which was, you know, as you'd imagine, you just bump the, the shifter up, you know, forward to, to upshift, backward to downshift. Um, interesting thing, and the thing is, it was unable to launch quite as quickly as the, uh, the clutch operated manual, so you'll right. find that, you know, zero to 60 times, which were somewhere in the neighborhood of 6.8 to 8.7 seconds, man, that's a big difference that's there. That's a big difference. That's yeah. a huge difference. Um, that's, that great fluctuation there in time is, is based on which um, manual transmission you selected. And I don't even know if there was an uh, automatic transmission. I didn't even think to look that up. I've just got the information about the manual. At yeah, point. the sequential manual. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing about the 2003 uh, sequential manual is the is the steering wheel mounted buttons. Oh, yeah, that's pretty that? cool. Yeah. yeah, so you could uh, you could shift with uh with your thumbs really. Yeah. Which is kind of cool too. So you didn't have to use the uh, the stick in the middle. You could use your thumbs to shift, which mm-hmm. is um I don't know. I guess maybe a progression towards the uh, the paddle shifters that we see now. A that lot. kind of stuff is always going to remind yeah, me of I the guess so. though. And and just la- two last quick things okay, that I okay. want to mention, and that's yeah. really it. And um, there were some special editions. There were like a thousand limited production V edition cars that were sent to Japan. Um, in the UK, is kind of a farewell to the MR2 in, in the 2007 model year. And uh, they've got, you know, just different uh, appearance packages, I guess, different color wheels and accents and things like that. Some sure. Like minor body changes. the TF300 series, for yeah. instance. Yeah, the TF300 series was something different. They had a they had a 182 horsepower engine mm. in that one, which is uh, probably something worth looking for. Um, and that's, again, a UK car. So there were only 300 of those produced. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also available as a dealer installed package. So you could install the package that would make a... TTE Turbo, I right. guess. Toyota uh, Team Europe. Yeah, yeah. You could make uh, you could make one of these vehicles, I guess, if you were a customer that already had an MR2 and wanted to upgrade your MR2, mm-hmm. so the dealer could do that for you. And the last one, and I think, you know, this is stepping back because I, I forgot to mention this in the uh, the second gen part. Okay. But if you if you'll just give me this one little grace period here, <laughs> sure, I'm yes. sorry about that, but no I think we need to mention it um, in motorsport. They competed in Le Mans in an MR2, and we need to mention that. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Oh. There was a, uh, a vehicle that was uh, created by Team SARD, which stands for Sigma Advanced Research Development, and it was the SARD MC8R, and it was from 1995 to 1997. It was a modified, lengthened version of the uh, uh, the second-generation MR2, which was built for GT racing by the Toyota Works team, which is that SARD company I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it was a twin-turbo version of the 4-liter Toyota V8 engine, Ben. I know. 600 horsepower, or 450 kilowatts for our Aussie friends. And it was <laughs> eligible for GT1 category competition in the Le Mans series. And only one MC8 road car was ever built uh, to meet the homologation requirements for it, but but no one knows where that one MC8R is right now. There's That's, so many mystery cars. Yeah, no one knows this. where that that one vehicle is, and and it also competed in the Japanese Grand Touring Championship, which is now the Super GT series. But yeah, um, I, I love that. I like to end on something like that. You know, where's that MC8R? 
that were yeah. missing. The the one homologation special, like the one road car that you can use. I don't know if they they probably know where the race car is. Right, but they don't know where the uh street car yeah. is. So that's I'm, a, I'm doing air quotes that's on street a, cars. That's a Japan barn find just waiting to happen. Yes. Let us know if you find it. Now Scott, I hate to say it, but we do have to go. Yeah, we do have to go. Uh, How about this? Do it quick, without any explanation. Okay, all right. So uh, ask me the question. Okay, if you could pick one generation, which one? First gen. First gen? Only because of my personal experience with it. And I All explained right. it, so uh, sorry, but uh, what's your first, your favorite, rather? Um, you know, man, honestly, I would have to say, I'm still quarreling with it, but I think, I think third gen. Third gen. See, so yeah. you know what? We both picked cars that we had personal experience yeah. in. I wonder if we had ever been in a second gen, if we would have picked a second gen, because those seem to be a pretty awesome car. We're going to have people write into us saying, yeah. you guys are crazy, second gens are clearly superior. Likewise. Uh, we'd love to know what you think about it, especially if you have some experience with a Mr. 2. Uh, let us know. You can find Scott and I on our website, carstuffshow.com. Drop us a line on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, give us a ratings on iTunes. And, of course, we want to hear your car stories or ideas for a topic in an upcoming podcast. Send your suggestions. Questions, comments, feedback, limericks, and one-liner bar jokes to carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.